You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning to you all, those who are here, those who are in the chapel, those who are watching online. So grateful last week for Jordan McKinney preaching while I was gone. I was out of the country and I watched his sermon when I returned and and I know certainly that he outpreached me, he outdressed me, and he outgoodlooked me as well. But I'm really grateful for Jordan and the good word that he brought uh, to you last week. If you don't mind, take some time and find the book of Habakkuk with me. In the Old Testament, it's five books from the end of the Old Testament, if that helps a little bit. Uh, we've been in this book for several weeks. Uh, I was out last week. We're going to go back into Habakkuk this morning. It's right in between Nahum and Zephaniah, if that helps a little bit. It's probably just three pages uh, inside your Bible. Short little book there, the book of Habakkuk. And maybe you've been here every week. Maybe today's your first time. Maybe you've kind of forgotten what we were talking about. So let's do a really quick review. This won't take long at all. It's kind of catch us all up on, to be on the same page. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Habakkuk is beginning to realize he lives in a crazy world. And everything is just upside down. And, and he begins to complain to God about it. And let me just show you some of the things he's complaining about. If your Bible is open, in verse 2 it says violence. Uh, verse 3, iniquity. Verse 3, the word wrong. The word destruction. Violence is there again. The end of verse 3, strife and contention. Verse 4, the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The, the wicked surround the righteous. The very end of verse 4, justice goes forth perverted. And so here's Habakkuk, he's complaining to God. And he, he asks God in verse 3, why is it, God, that you just sit idly back and do nothing while the world seems to just be spinning out of control? In verse 5 through verse 11 of that same chapter, of chapter, chapter 1, God assures Habakkuk, oh, I'm working. It really says two things. One, you don't understand the ways in which I work. And then secondly, you're not going to like the way that I work. And so this is the response back to Habakkuk. You don't understand the ways I'm working, and I'm working in ways you don't even want me to work. Verse 12 through verse 17, Habakkuk begins to complain again. And here's his complaint this time. Why is it, God, that the wicked people win? Why is it, God, that wicked people prosper? Our nation is in a mess, and he, he asks God again, or he says to God, he accuses God again, and God, you do nothing about it. You know, Highland, anybody frustrated with this present culture, actually that is your heart longing for the kingdom of God. Anybody frustrated with our present governmental authority and leadership, that is your heart longing for a king. The reason politics is always disappointing is because we're looking for a perfect king. The heart of every Christ follower is longing for a perfect king. Chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says, I'm going to post up right here then. And God, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait to hear from you. God, I'm listening to you. Will you speak to me? And in chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, God says, I am at work. I have a vision for you. In fact, the vision he's talking about is the coming of Christ, the coming of this Messiah. So he says here in verse 3, kind of the middle, if my plan or my vision, Habakkuk, seems slow, just wait for it. Here's a little context. There are four corruptions going on as Habakkuk is writing this. Four corruptions going on in the culture. The first one was actually a cultural corruption. Marriages were weak and families were weak. 
there was no regard for life and there was no regard for truth. That was the cultural corruption going on in that day. The second corruption was political corruption. The people did not like, they did not trust, and they did not want the political leaders that they had because the politicians, the political leaders, were unprincipled, were dishonest, and were underhanded. Hmm. Moral corruption. People were disobeying God's rules. They were lying. They were stealing. Sexual sin was out of control. And there was spiritual corruption. False teachers, false doctrine. Even the priests were calling unholy things holy. Even God's people were celebrating things they should have been repenting of. And we pick it up here in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. This is, by the way, one of the key verses of the entire Old Testament. I would say there's four key verses in the book of Habakkuk. We're going to look at three of them today. Here's the first one. Verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. Now this is Habakkuk speaking of a wicked person. Someone who is away from God, who is pushing away from God. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not even upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. That is such an important verse in the Old Testament that Paul uses it really two times. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, to describe our salvation, that the righteous, those who are in right standing with God through Christ Jesus, it is because of our our faith that we live in right standing. The righteous will live by faith. The author of Hebrews, whomever that might be, wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, this exact same verse, the righteous shall live by his faith. This is a very important verse to us. And what Habakkuk was doing, he was living by faith during this time. He was living by, by faith. Now, what was he What what did he have faith in? What was he hopeful for? He had faith in a Messiah that would come. He had faith that there would be a Jesus. There would be a king that would come and rule and reign over the crazy world. So Habakkuk was living by faith in the coming of a Messiah. We too, Christian, we live by faith. We live by faith in the second coming of Jesus. You can write this down if you want to. There's a lot of definitions of faith. Here would be a definition I want to use today. Faith is the bridge between where we are and where we will be. There's a lot of great definitions of faith. In fact, the Bible gives us a lot of definitions of faith, understandings of faith. But here's an understanding I want us to have today. Faith is the bridge between where we are and where we will be. You see, all of our spiritual forefathers, all of our spiritual foremothers in the Old Testament, they lived by faith in the coming of Christ. They lived by faith in the coming of this promised one, this, this Messiah. Christians today, we live by faith in the second coming of Jesus. Now, we are where we are right now. That's one of the most understated statements I can make. We are where we are right now, but this world and the state that is in is not where we'll be. So what do we do? Verse 4, we live by faith. Faith is a key word, if not the key word of the Christian life. We live by faith. We live by faith, but it's a, it's a very interesting, privileged position historically in which we now live. You see, we live after the first coming of Christ. When Habakkuk was writing this, he was hoping for a Christ to come. He was hoping that Jesus would come because everything before the time of Habakkuk, really before the time of, of Matthew, the coming of Christ, it was this hope, this faith, this trust that God would come through faith was that bridge to the Old Testament people of where they were, but where they would be in the coming of Christ. I say that we live in a very privileged position historically now 
because all the things about Christ, his first coming, have already, have already happened. The virgin birth, Christ being born in, in Bethlehem, coming from the tribe of Judah, coming from the lineage of David, being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, being pierced for our transgressions, being raised again on the third day. All these things have already happened. But at this point, Habakkuk was hoping in faith, was trusting in faith, was living by faith for that day. Because all those things have already happened, church, that should increase our faith for what is to come. So what are we, by faith, waiting for? We're waiting for the second coming of Christ. We're waiting for the second Christmas, for the king to come, for the king to return with his kingdom. The problem a lot of us have, the problem we all have, is it's so tempting to live by sight instead of by faith. It's so tempting to be overwhelmed to just live by what we see and not just by what we have faith in or that in which we have faith. And so here's what I wrote in my notes for you. Sight says, I will believe it when I see it. Faith says, I will believe it until I see it. It's so tempting for us to live by, by sight. We see the world, we, we read the news, we hear what's going on, and we think this, this is a terrible place in which to live. These are crazy times in which we live, but faith is that bridge between where we are and where we will be. Sight says, I'll just have to believe it when I see it, but the faith of those who are in Christ says, I will believe it until I see it. It is so much easier to live by sight because there's no faith involved, and yet Habakkuk has told us in dramatic form, the righteous, they live by faith. So when we live by faith, Christian, we believe for the day that we will see the king return. And sin and suffering and Satan will be gone. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 5. Moreover, a wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as a shield, like death he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own even all peoples. In that one short verse there in verse 5, we actually see something that I would like for you to consider with me this morning. We see four wrong responses to a world that's gone crazy. We see four wrong responses to a world that's gone crazy. Maybe for you, it's a life that's gone crazy or relationships that have gone crazy or a family that's gone crazy or a work life that's gone crazy or a campus that's gone crazy. Here are four wrong responses to a world that seemingly has gone crazy. We see it all here in verse five. Here's the first thing. I'll be my own king. That's the wrong response when it feels like things are shaking all around you. When life seems upside down, the wrong response is, I will be my own king. We kind of see it in verse 4 with that little phrase there, his soul is puffed up. We definitely see it in verse 5 with the word arrogant. This is when pride takes over. And you say, everything is crazy around me, therefore I'm going to be my own king. I'll be in charge of my own life. I'll give an account to myself. I will govern my own life. I will sit upon my own throne. I don't need God, nor do I need the culture to improve. I'll just rule over my own life as my own king. No one does king better than me, we often say. The problem, sadly, with I'll be my own king is always followed by I will sit in my own destruction. Because none of us in this house was designed, created to be the king of our own lives. Here's the second wrong response. If it feels like your world's gone crazy 
or your relationships have gone crazy, or school has gone crazy, or finances have gone crazy. Here's the second wrong response to a world that's gone crazy. Number two, I'll just be my own savior. No one else is gonna save me. I have to save myself. That's that little phrase there in verse five, never at rest. I'm just gonna have to work harder. If God's not gonna show up, or if God's gonna be slow to show up or slow to his promises, I'll just have to take charge myself. If God's not gonna take care of me, I'll just take care of me. And this is the person, this may be you. You have set up your life in such a way that if God doesn't show up, you'll be just fine. And it's a spiritually dangerous way to live. Why? Because God works day and night on your behalf. God works day and night caring for you. So if you feel like you have to be your own savior, here's what you're gonna have to do. You're gonna have to work day and night taking care of yourself. You're gonna have to work day and night making sure that you are the beneficiary of your own work. This is probably why some of you are so stressed and so exhausted because you've made the determination during the middle of a crazy time that you'll just be your own savior. Some of you need to surrender to a God who, believe it or not, is more powerful and capable than you are. Because often we say, times are crazy, I'll just have to be in charge myself. I will never be at rest, I'll just work harder. Here's the third wrong response to a world that's gone crazy. I'll just avoid reality. I'll pretend like none of this is happening. I'll just pretend like the world's not really that crazy. Uh, It says here in verse five, wine is a traitor. So I'll just drink my way through this. I'll just self-medicate my my way through this crazy time. I'll stick my head in the sand and pretend that that the world's really not crazy at all. I'll pretend there's no COVID-19. I'll pretend there's no racism. I'll pretend that my presidential candidate can do no wrong. I'll just pretend that everything will be all right on January 20th, 2021. I'll pretend that there'll be no judgment for a country that has aborted 60 million babies since 19. 1973. I'll pretend there's no judgment for Christians who look past the hungry, past the poor, past the marginalized, and past the immigrant just looking for a better life. This is the person who hides their light under a basket, and they just soon live in the dark as the world is dark. And it's a wrong response when the world's gone crazy just to avoid reality. Here's the fourth poor choice. I'm in this for myself. That's a poor choice when the world's gone crazy. Look at verse five, the second part of it. His greed, this is the wicked man. His greed is as wide as Hades, is as wide as hell itself, is as wide as Sheol. Like death, this person just never has enough. So he gathers for himself just all the nations. He collects for himself and owns best he can all peoples. So the world's gone crazy. The world is chaotic. The world is corrupt. And here's what you're asking. What's in it for me? I'm not going to leverage the chaos to help other people. I'm just going to get as much toilet paper as I can. And I'm going to gather as much as I can during this time. I know other people are hungry. I know other people are isolated. I know other people are fearful. But I'm going to make sure that I'm okay, that I have enough. I'm going to make sure I don't have any excuse to have to actually have faith in God or dependence on God during this time. I'm in it for myself. The world's gone crazy. Sorry to hear it. What's in it for me? If there's nothing else American history has taught us, it's this, that the CEO one day can be the prisoner the next. The millionaire one day can be the beggar on the street the next. God opposes the proud. God opposes the greedy. Okay, let's look at a big section of this passage then. Go to Hebrews, excuse me, Habakkuk, another H word. Habakkuk chapter two, look at verse six with me. 
Pick it up here in verse 6. Shall not all these take their taunt against him? Now let me call a quick timeout. In my Bible, there's a little, um, a little reference subtopic right there. And it says, woe to the Chaldeans. If you'd like to, you can change that to woe to the Americans if you'd like to. Because we're about to hear what chaos really looks like in a world. We're about to hear what corruption looks like in a nation. Verse 6, shall not all these take up their taunt against him, the wicked, the Chaldeans, those who are rebellious against God, with scoffing and riddles for him, and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Habakkuk is talking about stealing. And for how long will this go on? And loads himself with pledges, in other words, empty promises. Will not your debtor suddenly arise? And those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them. This is speaking here of revenge. Of the person that you took advantage of will now take advantage of you. So stealing and empty promises and revenge. Verse 8, because you have plundered many nations. And all the remnant of the people shall now plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and to all who, who dwell in them. Habakkuk is talking about payback. All those times that the Chaldeans or those who had a higher authority or a higher position, those who had power, took advantage of those who had less power. And all of a sudden it flips. And those who once had power are now powerless. And they're being taken advantage of. It's, it's payback. Verse 9, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. This is a fascinating verse. To set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised, devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. What, what is Habakkuk talking about? This is, I think I can wrap this up with one word, separationist. It's a person who says, I know there's hurt. I know there's hunger. I know there are people out there that have, have spiritual needs, have, have um, financial needs, have food needs. But I'm going to set my house in such a way that I don't have to deal with people. I don't want to be around any harm. I don't want to be around any dirtiness. I just want to separate my life from everybody else's life. And what Habakkuk says right here is by cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your own life. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with blood. This is speaking of the injustice of slavery. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity and of slavery. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire. Habakkuk is saying this is not of God that you would require someone to come in against their will and to build this town and all you give them is fire. All you give them is a place to gather around on the cold nights. This is not from the Lord that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. Speaking of slavery. Now in the middle of that hopelessness, in the middle of that chaos comes verse 14, which I would say is the second most important verse in all of Habakkuk. Because in the middle of the darkness, let's look at the light. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Future tense. Did you catch that? The earth will be filled one day. 
This is speaking here already of the second coming of Christ. Even though the first part of Habakkuk is speaking about the first coming, this is talking about the second Christmas, the second coming of Christ. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the deep. This is a verse of hope. This is a verse of promise. This is light in the darkness. Verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink, who pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. So this is deception. This is drunkenness. Verse 16, oh, you'll have your fill of shame instead of glory. This is a really interesting verse here. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. Uh, Moms and dads, I will skip preaching that verse today, but you probably can get the picture in your mind of what Habakkuk is saying, or hopefully you don't get the picture in your mind of what Habakkuk is saying here. The cup in the Lord's right hand, which is always a symbol of wrath, it will come around to you. And look at the power of this verse, or this phrase, and utter shame will come upon your glory. You are so proud. You are so arrogant. You're so proud of yourself. You're so proud of your position. Nothing will come upon your glory except shame. Again, deception drunkenness. Verse 17, the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Certainly on an overarching theme, this is talking about violence in a chaotic world, but it's also talking about the the destruction of creation of wiping out the beast in the forest, of wiping out the the, the earth itself, sending violence to the earth. And we see violence and fear and lack of love and lack of care. Verse 18, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies for its maker trust in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Talking about idolatry, of course. Habakkuk, uses a little sarcasm here. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. Woe to him who says to a silent stone, arise. Can can this stone teach? Can this idol teach? Behold, it's just overlaid with, with gold and silver and there is no breath in it at all. He is speaking of a false God. Let's just review very quickly. Verse six through 19, in the middle of the chaos of stealing, of empty promises, of extortion, of revenge, of payback, of separationist, of no compassion, in the middle of injustice, in the middle of slavery, in the middle of deception, in the middle of drunkenness, in the middle of violence and fear and idolatry and false gods, we come to this powerhouse verse, verse 20. But the Lord, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You've got this running commentary of the chaos and the craziness of everything happening in the nation around Habakkuk. But the Lord, he's in his rightful place. He's in his temple. So let all the earth keep silence before him. 
here's what verse 20 is saying. God is in his rightful place of sovereign rule. So let the world just be quiet. Let the world be quiet before him. The true world ruler abides on his throne. We should tremble in awe. We should stop talking. We should be silent. Yahweh is not asleep. He's ruling. So in the middle of a polarized nation in which we live in 2020, in the middle of debates and half-truths and terse emails, in the middle of COVID, in the middle of masks, no masks, why masks, please masks, in the middle of social media dumpster fires and economic uncertainty, in the middle of blaming one another, in the middle of fear, in the middle of a rattled nation, in the middle of a world and country that's gone crazy. God's word says we need to be quiet and put faith in a God who is great in his faithfulness toward us. So let's do that. Will you, with me, be quiet before the Lord for a minute? We talk so much. We rant, we complain. We post so much. Would you for a minute with me be quiet before the Lord? I, I know you wear nice clothes to church. You're an unbelievably beautiful, handsome congregation. But would you mind joining me as I go to my knees before a holy God? who asks us to be silent before him.